0: Mike. Lauren. Mike, this morning I offered you a ride in my car to the office so you wouldn't have to ride your bike. But you normally ride your bike. So what made you accept the offer?
1: Uh, to spend quality time with you, of course.
0: Oh, stop it. <laughs> but aren't you supposed to be bike calorie? I mean, you're a bike guy.
1: I have been known to be a bike person, yes.
0: And as much as I want to be a bike person, I'm not totally converted. And maybe I should be.
1: I think we will get you there over the next... 35 to 45 minutes.
0: I should probably start with like an actual bike, though, right?
1: Yes, okay. we'll work on that too.
0: Let's talk about it. Hi, everyone. This is Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired.
1: And I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired,
0: AKA Bike Calori.
1: <laughs> it me.
0: <laughs> and Wired Senior Associate Reviews Editor, Adrian So is here, or at least she's here on Zoom. She joins us from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Adrian, welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. So we've talked a lot about bikes on this pod because we generally like them a lot. And many of us happen to live in areas where getting around on bikes is possible. But for some people, bikes are daunting, terrifying expensive or just not feasible where they live or all of the above so considering that may is national bike month we thought we would do our annual bike calorie episode
2: <laughs> God. i really think that's
0: probably what we're going to title it if uh. let us. all right in the second half of the show we're going to talk about e-bikes which might be a better solution for some people and i think people are curious about but first let's start with the basics should you be commuting by bike what kind of bike should you look to buy? And what's all the other gear that you need? So, Adrian, what would you say people really need to start rolling or riding?
2: So Mike and I have bonded over this in the past, but my own personal road bike is just a complete beater. It's the Surly cross-trek and it's the color of newborn diarrhea. <gasps> and I love it. I love it so much. Like if you're just like piddling around your neighborhood, I say just... Go find an absolute banger in the color that you absolutely love. Let it be like steel, you know, get some thicker tires on it. So you're not like fumbling around all the place. A couple of the good uh, mid-range brands, I guess I'd say. Surly, Kona, Marin. I think that's local to you guys. So yeah, I would expect to spend somewhere around like 400 or 500 and like I got my bike off of a Facebook buy sell trade group, and the, your best bet is a bike in an absolutely revolting color. So that is my suggestion.
0: Adrian, this begs the follow up question: What color is newborn diarrhea? What is that? Is that is that brown? <laughs> is that chartreuse? Like what? What is it? Puke.
2: I I don't even know if Surly has the like an official name for it, but it's like this very specific shade of like brownie green that is just it's so it's it's not olive it's not cocoa it's in between and when i find another surly guy who has a bike the same color like you're legally required to high five
0: so (laughs) it's so revolting (laughs) mike what's your go-to road bike
1: Um, Well, I mean, my own is I I have a couple, as Adrian mentioned. I do have a beater, which I use for quick errands, things like uh, going to the grocery store, going to yoga class, going to the bar to meet a friend. And then I have a bike that is a little nicer with a little nicer appointments that I use to get to and from the office. Uh, Both of them I spent well under a thousand dollars for. I think the beater I spent like two hundred and fifty dollars on and then my road bike, the nicer one, I spent I think 700 or $800 on. And really like, I think the thing that you need in addition to a bike is you need a purpose, right? You need a place to go, a reason to ride. Because when you're first starting out, Uh, I think having a destination and having like a good practice of getting to and from that destination is really important. So I would recommend that you pick one errand that you normally do every week and choose to do that by bicycle instead of driving. So if you normally drive to uh, your tennis game, you can ride your bike to your tennis game. Or if you normally drive to uh, pick up the coffee beans for your weekly espresso machine coffee bean refill hopper thing, then uh, you know, just ride to the 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 roastery and get your beans by bicycle instead of driving. Um I feel like if you do that, that's just as important as having a good bike to ride because otherwise that good bike that you bought will just sit in the Garage.
0: Right. So ultimately what you're going to use it for is going to dictate what kind of bike you need. I'm going to lean really heavily on you both for advice here because I'm not a big biker as we've established. I bought a used bike back when I went to grad school because the campus was huge and I was glad I had it. I enjoyed riding it around and I also briefly trained for a triathlon with that bike, although Mm. the triathlon didn't happen. That's a whole other story. But then recently, which is several years later at this point, my bike was stolen. Mm -hmm. So now I'm without bike. And I'm debating what to do. And it wasn't an expensive bike. It was a beater, as you would describe it. It was right. used. It was a Raleigh, Ravino, something or other. Mike, you did some work on it a couple times. I put air in the tires, Lauren. Oh. <laughs> it seemed very official. You had like a bike kit in the garage and you were like doing things. You were tinkering. <laughs> Are you telling me you we're only putting air in the tires? Oh, my God.
2: I love getting out my bike tool. I'm like, I am exactly like Angelina Jolie and gone in 60 seconds or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I'm just gonna tighten I'm just gonna tighten up this ball. I'm too fast, too furious right now. It's <laughs>
0: awesome. But then recently a friend of mine came over my house and she had just she had just done a very, very long bike ride. Like she rode from down in Silicon Valley to where I am in San Francisco. And I noticed that her bike had uh it was like a partial road bike, partial gravel bike.
1: Yeah. I think the the thing that you're talking about is something that you can use on multiple different kinds of terrain. People okay. usually just call that a hybrid
0: hybrid. Okay. So, so at what point would you say that someone needs to consider a hybrid?
1: I mean, if that's your first bike, I think that's fine. If that's your second bike, that may be more appropriate. It really just depends on like where you live, what the riding conditions are like, what the infrastructure is like in the place that you ride. Like If there are a lot of bike lanes and a lot of people out cycling all the time, then you probably don't need anything that is going to have to – like you don't need to spend the money that you would need to do in order to outfit a bike to ride off-road or to ride on rough roads. However, if there is not a lot of infrastructure or if you're riding is mostly going to be – like you know you want to go riding off-road – Or you know that you're going to be riding on like fire roads or, you know, on the path that's next to the road, which isn't always in the best condition, then that might be a reason that you would want to, you know, get a bike that is a hybrid, something that can handle more than just pavement.
2: As Mike mentioned, a lot of bike people tend to have like bike quivers, like bikes for different purposes, but figuring out those purposes is pretty key. And I think a hybrid is really good if you do not intend to become like a crazy bike person with like a dozen bikes in your garage. If you have the gravel bike or a hybrid bike, that's awesome if you are combining like commuting and a weekend, a gentle weekend trail ride. But um, that's absolutely true. What Mike was saying about um, finding a purpose, because Finding safe routes, like it shouldn't be an issue, but it totally is. Before I go anywhere on my bike, you really have to plot it out so you don't find yourself in a place with no shoulder or like 18 wheelers or something. I wish that wasn't such a big issue in a lot of places, but it really is. So
0: how concerned are both of you about safety? I think that's my number one hang up about cycling around San Francisco.
2: I mean, I'm not in San Francisco, I'm in Portland. It has a reputation as being a really bike friendly city. Our Bureau of Transportation publishes local bike maps uh, with safe routes, but those tend to kind of highlight, you know, like commuter routes or someplace you might drive to with your kids to like bike along the river or something. I find that Google Maps and Apple Maps are actually a lot better to check against each other. I think Google Maps has a bicycling layer So that it plots out the route, not only the routes, but the, you know, the grade and difficulty. Yeah, grade and difficulty. And then Strava uh, has heat maps, which are awesome if you live in a more populated area, because I realized that I happen to live next to a really popular bike route. So the best protection that you have are other bikers.
1: I would add that if you're concerned about safety and you live in a relatively big city, look for your local bike coalition or like your bike advocacy group, because they usually offer introductory street safety courses, which covers all the basics you know, the do's and the don'ts and the basics of the laws of riding on a road, whether or not there's a bike lane or not. Um, Like here in California, if there's no bike lane, you're allowed to ride in the normal lane of traffic. And when you do that, even though it's within the law, all of the cars are honking at you. People are yelling at you. People are throwing things. It makes you feel really unsafe. Uh, but you are riding within the letter of the law, so there is this weird disconnect between you know what is allowed and what is proper and what is safe, and what is safe is going to be determined by your own comfort level. You know whether or not you have like nerves of steel, uh, which in some cities you need in order to ride on the streets. But I think you know to Adrian's point, if you do a little bit of research and you find the good routes, you'll meet other people to ride with. That's always you know if you ride as a group, it's safer than than riding on your own usually. Um, but also your local bike organization or your local bike advocacy group can be a big asset.
2: Something that I really love that has started in Portland has been the advent of uh, bike buses. So our the schools have started um, helping kids and parents who want to bike to school bond together. And I've seen some really incredible pictures of like 15 or 20 kids just biking to school together. It looks like a total like New Orleans second line. I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to say the vitriol aimed at cyclists is always shocks me. I don't understand why drivers get so mad at cyclists because cyclists are literally helping to make the planet a more habitable place. It's fewer cars on the road. That I is just, a
1: whole separate it's a whole podcast. episode. <laughs> it's a whole
0: episode. Let's let's put a pin in that. All right. I have a question about the gear you need to get started aside from the bike because you're not just buying the bike, right? You need locks or a helmet or lights And then I also have a question about cargo. What do you buy if you're, I don't know, toting your kids around or lots of grocery bags or a surfboard?
1: I would say yes to helmet lights, a lock, a pump, and a very basic bike tool, which is just a tool that has all of the wrenches that you would typically need to fix just about any bike. It's like three or four hex wrenches and a couple of... um, screwdrivers, the the different heads of screwdrivers. Um, you can also get like a patch kit, something like that, if you wanna make your own repairs, or you can just ask somebody to make repairs for you. It's usually pretty easy to find either a bike shop or a neighbor who can do something like fix a flat tire or you know, fix your chain. Um, lube is also important. You need to lubricate your machine in order to make it work properly.
0: This is a family-friendly podcast, Mike.
1: Yes, lube is very, very <laughs> important. The thing that I think you don't need to worry about is like the fancy clothes. You don't necessarily you need you can. A kit. You don't need any of that stuff. You can just okay. ride in your the shoes that you wear every day, provided they're flats and not heels. Uh, you can ride in jeans. You can ride in shorts. You can ride in a T-shirt. Just ride. Like when you were a kid and you rode a bike, you didn't get dressed up in like spandex and clicky shoes, right? You didn't put on the $400 sunglasses. You just literally hopped on your bike and went. The closest you can get to that, I think, is ideal, especially if you're just starting out and you just want to get around.
2: Yeah. The idea is to have it be fun. That's why I started on my summer of jorts for sports. <laughs> so this is gonna be this is this is gonna be the summer where I, I jorted up.
0: And Adrienne, what do you use for cargo?
2: Oh man, the thing I love about bikes and bike people is the endless willingness to customize literally everything. I have a rear rack, I've got the padded seats and like the steel safety bar cage around around our rear rack. I recently installed double wide foot decks so I can like, you know, start lashing more things to the bottom of our rack. But mine is what you would call a mid tail or a long tail. It's got the butt sticks out more so that I can fit both my kids. <laughs> Uh, riding on the back behind me. Or you can also like and, clip uh,
1: bags to it if you want.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, Or 50 pound bags of cement or dog food or mulch. I've done that yep. too. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think
1: if you want to get to and from the grocery store, just start with a really good backpack. Something that's comfortable to ride your bike with under load. So like, you know, test a backpack, put a bunch of stuff in it, ride around the block a couple of times and it feels okay. It's going to be fine. You'll know when you need more.
2: When I was biking around San Francisco or Berkeley, I would just dangle like the bags of groceries from my handlebars, which I really don't recommend <laughs> if you have any other <laughs> options, but you know, it
0: can be done. Whenever I see someone biking to and from a market, like the farmer's market or grocery stores in the movies, first of all, they always have leafy green stuff sticking out of the tops of their bags. And I don't know anyone who in real life ever has leafy green stuff. Stop it. Mike is raising his hand. Stop it. <laughs> this, this whole podcast episode is just an episode of Portlandia.
1: I bought chard at the grocery store <laughs> yesterday and I didn't want to break it to get it into the backpack. So I just stuck it out of the top of the backpack and I had like charred leaves behind my head.
0: Okay. So you actually are that person. But then, yes, it always seems like people are just have like one single bag of groceries that is, is going to like sustain the crowd. Yeah. And, and they're like on this beautiful bike with like a basket and hair is flowing and everything just looks idyllic.
1: Live simply so that others may simply live.
0: <laughs> All right. On that note, let's wrap up this segment. That's good advice. We'll wrap up this segment and uh, we're going to take a short break and come back with more on e-bikes. Okay, so we've sold you on road bikes, and I think I've been sold. Actually, I really want another bike. I just haven't been able (laughs) to get one, which is a whole, once again, a whole other episode. We should talk about e-bikes and e-bike shares, because for a lot of people, these are just going to be a better option, because they're powered, and they can give you a boost. But they're also heavier, and they tend to be more expensive. I mean, I think unless you're one of those serious cyclists who's getting like a carbon fiber multi-thousand dollar racing bike, mm-hmm. if you're comparing the kind of beater bike you guys are talking about with an e-bike, an e-bike is going to be more expensive. Yes. So, Adrian, what would you say is the threshold for someone to say, okay, a road bike might not work for me. I should consider an e-bike. I, I mean,
2: I ride an electric cargo bike to school, and the people who consistently talk to me about it and ask about it, are other moms because mm. without, I mean, I'm five, two, I'm um, there's just no way that somebody my size could carry kids and back. The, the whole reason we got an electric bike in the first place was because I was towing my kids, uh, to school in a bike trailer with all their stuff. I was biking so slowly that my husband was really convinced that I would get flattened in the road because I wouldn't be able to like bike out of the rode quickly enough with his offspring like behind me. So I really think that electric bikes and electric motors are like a total game changer if you're older or smaller and you just wouldn't have the ability to do what you wanted to do on a bike without one. So if you are smaller, please think about it.
1: And I would say like if you have a longer commute, Right. Or if you live in the boonies, like I'm pretty lucky in that I have about a three mile flat commute across San Francisco from my home to the office, Mm
0: -hmm. which is why you accepted my car ride today to the office. Right.
1: Yes, that's exactly (laughs) why. (laughs) So, you know, if I lived six miles or seven miles from the office and that commute involved a hill or two or three, just like a lot of places in San Francisco do then I would probably be riding an e-bike just because it helps me get to where I'm going without the level of exhaustion that would otherwise require, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And sweatiness.
1: And the sweatiness. Uh, You still do get a pretty decent workout riding an e-bike. It just assists you. It doesn't do the whole thing for you. It just assists you. So it makes the pedaling... Uh, more productive is all it is. But you still have to pedal for most e-bikes anyway.
0: Can you ride e-bikes in bike lanes or do you ride them on the road alongside all of the four wheeled gas guzzlers?
1: You can ride them in in bike lanes.
0: You do ride them in bike lanes. There
2: are, uh, I think, three classes of e-bikes that are sold in the United States right now, which is something that you should probably check on your local laws. I know that New York City, for example, does not consider electric bikes with a throttle To be bikes. I know, I think those are motor vehicles. I think most populated places, um, you'll want a bike that has a speed cap of about 20 miles per hour. And I know that a lot of business bikes are being capped now at 12 miles per hour.
0: So, and those
1: would be like delivery bikes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Adrian, you have mentioned that um, most people are going to want to look to an affordable DTC bike. What does that mean what's a dtc bike and how much can people expect to pay so
2: the most affordable options are going to be from companies like Aventon or rad power um this is a direct to consumer bike that you can buy directly off their
0: website and have it oh so that's what dtc means just direct to consumer yeah like warby parker glasses or a mattress that you get dtc Absolutely,
2: except that you are not uh, pedaling a mattress down the street at 25 miles per hour, (laughs) which is why I would 100%. Like, I know that it's so tempting when you look at the prices of all these DTC bikes. You're like, okay, like the specs are kind of similar, but I'm spending like $1,200 versus $2,000 or $2,500. That really sucks. But it's also like, we've tested so many e bikes here. And I just have such a big problem with direct to consumer companies. Like Rad Power is really good at it, but they don't, they often don't uh, ship the forks properly. The forks come bent, the displays are cracked. And if you've never assembled a bike before, it could be really dangerous. I mean, there's a lot of things about assembling an electric bike. That could go wrong, which is why I generally recommend that if it's your first bike and you go to a bike shop and get to try out a bunch of different models and have somebody that you can talk to and somebody who will assemble it for you. Because you, the place, the time to find out that something is wrong with your electric bike is not when you've got like your kids and your bags (laughs) on it and you're going like 25 miles an hour down the road. You don't want anything to set fire there. So.
1: Also, the, the folks at your local bike shop will probably be pretty well-versed on the local regulations, uh, what's allowed, what isn't, and also what sort of bike would be good for your weight and the types of things you're going to be doing. Like Adrian was saying, if you carry your two kids to and from school every day on your bike, you're going to need a different style of e-bike than the person who just wants to get themselves and a 20-pound backpack to and from the office. So I would recommend talking to them if you don't have a local bike shop or if you are uncomfortable going in and talking to somebody who's trying to sell you something, just ask the bike person in your life. I'm sure you have one. Even if they're in (laughs) another city, you can ask that person.
0: Ask your own personal bike calorie. That's right. So what is battery life like on these e-bikes, both for... Each individual ride. And over the long term, since we know that rechargeable lithium ion batteries tend to lose their juice over several years.
2: That's another thing that you want to consider when buying like a cheaper bike with say like a Bafang system versus like a more expensive, more reliable motor and drivetrain. Like I personally have a Bosch motor drivetrain. More expensive electric bikes have a drive trains by companies like Bosch and Shimano both of whom I recommend I think Bosch's uh standards they use like automotive standards with when testing Their their drivetrains, my colleague Julian Chikatu and I, uh, he tests more of the lower end bikes and we recently had an unpleasant moment when he realized that his bikes have a range of about uh, 12 to 20 miles per charge and he had to charge his bike every day versus my personal bike which has a range of 90 to 120 miles and I only have to charge my bike uh, once a week which can also extend the life of the battery
1: e-bikes will always come with a range statement like the manufacturer will tell you oh this goes you know 30 to 40 miles per charge but you can dial in how much work you want the motor to do you can ride with like almost no assistance or no assistance at all or you can ride with the setting that has the motor working really hard to make you go as fast and as efficiently from one place to another as possible if you ride in that high setting you're going to drain your battery That much faster, right? If you're riding low setting, you can Mm -hmm. conserve your battery. So the range statements are really like they're really guessy. You'll get a good sense of what your range is after you've done your normal rides in your normal style with your the settings that you like Mm -hmm. a few times. You'll Mm -hmm. get an idea for what it actually is. But if you're worried about range, look for a bike where you can buy a second battery. So you can always have a backup battery charged at home or at the office, something that you know, like if you run into trouble, you're in a location where you can swap the battery. That's something that eases range anxiety.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Are e-bikes safer than road bikes? So even if someone isn't ready to invest in their own personal electric bike at this point, should they be looking to rideshare bikes or something like that? Um, instead of using a road bike when possible.
1: Rideshare bikes are a great way into e-bikes because a lot of them are electric now. So you can make a decision about how you feel about riding an e-bike. As to whether or not they're safer, that's completely up to the person riding it and the road conditions and the attitudes of the drivers in the location where they're riding it like it's just a, it's a huge question mark because there are so many variables involved. I will say that e-bikes make it easier for you to get out of tough situations more quickly, right? So if you're in an uncomfortable situation where you're surrounded by things that feel dangerous, an e-bike will help you zip out of there faster than you would be able to if you were under your own power. However, I think that people driving cars generally have an idea in their head about how fast a bicycle should be able to go. E-bikes kind of break that expectation because they allow you to go much faster. So somebody may look in the rearview mirror, see you 30 feet behind them on a bike and say, oh, I'm going to change lanes now because there's no way that bike is going to be here by the time I'm changing lanes. And then do that to find Mm -hmm. you right next to them because (laughs) you're on an e-bike and Mm -hmm. you're going 20 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... There's an argument to be made that they're less safe because they can go faster but there's an argument to be made that they are more safe because they can get you out of sticky situations so really it's just like if you keep your head about you and you don't take chances every bike is safe no matter what kind of bike
2: i just wanted to stick this in here as long as we're talking about bike shares and stuff like you can try electric bikes from the shop you can try electric bikes from like a bike share but you can also try regular bikes from a shop you can um i'm shopping for a new mountain bike because you can never have enough mountain bikes and we are you can never have enough bikes period yeah you um, can (laughs) 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 i I think the appropriate bike to person ratio in our house is maybe like 12 to 1 so that's what (laughs) we're aiming for our spouses and loved uh,
1: ones are are screaming into their ear pods at (laughs) this
2: but like Anyway,' we're, we're, we're rolling past that. we're rolling forward on our bikes <laughs> any any shop like the bike shop is peopled by bike people who would be totally happy to let you try as many different kinds of bikes as you want. So that's another point if you are still like not sure what kind of bike you want. you can also try regular bikes.
0: Mm-hmm. Adrian, thank you for that. I appreciate your 12 to one ratio there. I think I could make the same argument for surfboards, right? Yeah, why not? Absol-
2: absolutely. All right. Yeah,
0: let's take a break. And then we're going to come back with our recommendations. Adrian, as our guest of honor, what is your recommendation? So my recommendation is
2: I just finished reading um, Rebecca Solnit's A Paradise Built in Hell. And if anybody just needs a boost in their faith in humanity right now, which I think we might all do. It's basically like examining how in the worst of times, people just really step up and come together. And it is, it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly really great. It's like heartwarming about how we all think that, you know, when disaster hits, like the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, or the Mexico City earthquake, like you would think that it would be like Chaos and just you know survival of the fittest or whatever, but it turns out that that's a narrative that's imposed on us by like anywhere from like disaster movies or FEMA, and that the people on the ground actually really help each other. And there's just it's just it's so it's so tear jerky like all the people who helped each other out of the towers at nine eleven and stuff. Like if you really need to be able to look around and think that everybody around you is really a good person at heart. I recommend it.
0: I picked that up during the pandemic and did not finish it. I admit it's on my list. Um, My Goodreads list with my one friend, Michael Laurie, (laughs) Uh, but it it is on my list of books to finish. And I, I was also really bolstered reading about how the community here really banded together and, and, and tried to support one another. And after this terrible, terrible crisis and it, it's, it does sound like it's a good it's a book that's a good tonic for mm. today's day and age. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that excellent recommendation. Um, Mike, what's your recommendation this week?
1: I brought a bike related recommendation of this week. Of course you did. Yes. Uh, it is my favorite cycling bag. It is called the Road Runner Bags Lil Guy. That's L I L G U Y. It is a hip pack, or as we in the United States say, a fanny pack.
2: It's worth noting here that Mike and I both own this bag and totally love it. I actually, This is actually my everyday bike bag too. Oh,
1: it's so, so great. Okay, so it doesn't hold a lot. It won't hold your laptop. It, okay. it will barely hold your lunch. But it is, it is a hip bag. You can also wear it as a sling. Uh, it's adjustable, so it fits any sized person. And it holds... Basically like the essentials that you need for a long ride. So it'll hold your sunglasses, your sunscreen, a little towel, maybe like a can of soda or like a can of beer, uh, your locks. There are a couple of places to attach locks to the outside of the bag on the belt or on the back. It'll also hold your lights. It'll hold your bike tool uh, and it'll hold your phone. So just about everything that you need to get out of the house for six, seven hours and then come home and shower and eat. Um, it is $75, which is a lot of money for a bag. However, I will say that it is remarkably well constructed in the United States by people who live in Los Angeles who make a living wage. Uh, and the materials are very high quality and the company itself is delightful. Uh, the zippers last forever. Everything's guaranteed. So it's money well spent even though it is quite a bit of money for a a sling bag. Uh, I use it when I walk around the neighborhood. I like it so much. It's not just a bike bag for me, but it is the thing that is always on me whenever I'm going for a bike ride.
2: The construction of it is also really ingenious. Like, I don't know if it was clear that like the bike lock, uh, it's a loop in the back. So you can just like slide your U-lock in there. And then there's like webbing on the front so you can just clip your lights on there. Like you don't have to, it's so, it's so, it's ingeniously made It's uh, is one of the reasons I like it. Yeah,
1: the thing that I appreciate the most about the lock storage is that you don't need to unlock your lock to get it off the bag you can just pull it out of that loop but it stays in that loop because you cinch it down with the same strap that keeps it cinched to your body so yeah it's pretty ingenious anyway that's my recommendation the lil guy from roadrunner bags
0: i'm looking at the lil guy fanny pack right now on the Roadrunnerbags.us website <laughs> and it does look very well made and also there are a handful of colors here you can choose from including olive cordura which i'm wondering Adrian. Would you say that this is the color of newborn diarrhea?
2: <laughs> it looks um, a little it looks a little green. It looks a little too tasteful. This yeah. is a little too attractive, too, I think. Okay. You want you want it to be really gross. Yeah, you want it to be
0: putrid. Okay. Yeah, you want to feel a little bit sick when you look at okay. it. <laughs> okay. So. Oh Fair boy. Enough, enough about vomit
1: colored bags. Lauren, <laughs> what is your recommendation?
0: Look, my recommendation this week, I may embarrass Adrienne just a little bit. But Adrian wrote this gorgeous essay on Wired.com this week titled, A Letter to My Fellow Asian Mothers from the Multiverse. And before this show started, I think we were all um, sort of fangirling over... uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the uh, new movie out that's starring Michelle Yeoh. And um, in fact, Kara Swisher, when she was on the podcast a few weeks ago, that was her recommendation yeah. that we go see that movie. And yeah. I took her advice and I went and saw it. I cried for like this whole entire second half of the movie. Um, I was on a date and I just sat there <laughs> sobbing <laughs> and had to explain afterwards that sometimes, often, Aww. I cried during movies, but this one was particularly touching. And um, Adrian did this fantastic essay on wire.com, not only about that film, but also Turning Red. And um, there was one other film that you referenced in your essay too, Adrian, right? Yeah, it's Amma. It's yes, a movie. Uma. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, Adrian, I just want to say, I want to give you all the kudos because it really was um, such a powerful essay. I love, I mean, I, you're such a great reviewer, and I love reading your reviews, but I also love when you do non-review stories and share personal experiences um and you wrote about your own relationship with your mother and and just the experience of being the daughter of an immigrant mother and uh yeah it's just great and i recommend that everyone go read it
2: oh lauren yeah. i'm flushing thank you <laughs> and if i
0: may read one of the passages from it that i thought um was really powerful and once again i'm just totally embarrassing adrian here but um she writes, to be an immigrant woman means to hold many versions of yourself in your head at once. Not only is there the yawning difference between how we perceive ourselves and how we are perceived by others, and then in parentheses, honestly, sometimes I don't know about you people, um, but there's, and noted, and I laughed. Um, but the, no, no one in this room. No one on this Zoom. <laughs> no, I mean, really, this is, it's, it's lessons we all need to learn. And then you continue, but there's also the gap between what our lives would have looked like. If we'd stayed there instead of coming here, and then at the end, the, the kicker about raising your own daughter was really oh, just it really got me in the gut. So um, thank you for writing it, Adrian.
2: Well, thank you, Lauren. I'm going to lighten the mood here deliberately because I'm so moved right now, but I uh, I had a story when I saw Everything Everywhere all at once, I went out with a bunch of fellow moms and we went out to the bar before, before we saw it and I had to pee so bad about like an hour before the movie ended and I was like, This is really distracting me. What should I do? And I just, like, leaped, like, (laughs) vaulted over the back of my seat. I sprinted out of the theater. I have never peed so fast in my life. My friends were, like, completely appalled by by my behavior during this movie. And I just, like, and then I, like, vaulted back into my seat. And my friend just leaned over and she was like, he said to be kind. Did you Did you get that? And I was like, damn it. So, yes, I may see it in the theater again because I almost completely I I almost completely botched it the first time. My my advice, my recommendation here is to not go to the bar before you go
0: see the movie. Wow. But, yeah. All right, that's our show. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth, our very own Charlie Chip Black. We're taking a short break next week for the Memorial Day holiday, but we will be back with more Gadget Lab the first week of June. So tune in then.
1: Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here.